Ari Benavides. Welcome today. Mm-hmm. It's such a pleasure to have you here to talk about mm-hmm. your journey and the special, um, the, the most special thing that I we're going to talk about that I hear of speaking to you is how you used tools mm-hmm. that you had when you didn't even realize that you had them. Mm-hmm. How powerful that is. And how you use the art of journaling to get you through a starting point with no training mm-hmm. on how to journalize and how to journal to breaking through like multiple levels uh, of, of yourself. So yeah. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Me too. Excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you. One of the reasons we've said we'd, we'd want to talk to Ari is because we don't really, I don't really think that you need to look at somebody who is you know, the founder of some fortune company or whatever, because sometimes they're just not relatable. Mm -hmm. We're everyday people, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes when others look at those personas, there is this, I would call a misconception that they are all these things that I am not. So Mm -hmm. therefore, when they talk about their story of trial and falling down and getting up, they somehow have this thing, they're yeah. wired a certain way yeah. that I'm not, so forget it. Mm-hmm. So they bow out of the exercise. What I like about Ari is like, you're so down to earth, <laughs> right? Come on. Yes? Definitely. Right? You could Definitely. say you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> right? So you're so down to earth, but you're you're doing amazing things like up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'd love to be able to just share some of that. Sure. And what I love about the way you do it is you just kind of look at it like, um, I want to say you're even trying to be humble. You're like, yeah, this is just all I did. And you also talk about how you did things that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, you just talked about earlier on about how you could take until a certain very advanced phase in life to figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we can say we've figured it out, mm-hmm. nor would you say that yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. You have figured some things out, mm-hmm. right? When you look at a previous iteration or version of yourself, you're able to just kind of stand outside of yourself and look at that and go, hmm, yeah, there it was. Mm-hmm. So give us an instance, right? Like sure. that you found that you can recall that you would say, yeah, I was really struggling with this. Mm-hmm. Let's start with that. Sure. Do you remember one that comes to mind? Yeah, even more so than the specific example of what I was struggling with, when you were speaking earlier about that moment of choice, uh, a very clear memory came up for me. And I believe I was about 21 years old. And I had that moment. I was I remember I was living with my brother at the time and I was in my bedroom. And this thought crossed my mind where I just felt so overwhelmed with life and overwhelmed with the poor choices or rather the lack of choices that I've made in my life throughout, you know, my early teens when you started developing awareness of the ability to make choice. And I reached a point where this the way it came to me was this very clear sentence where it was, I don't know what it is that I want to do, but I know I don't want to do nothing. And it just like repeated and like it echoed in my mind, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know... I don't want to do nothing. And that's kind of like where that choice took place where I was like, okay, you know you don't want to do nothing. What are some things that you want to do? And the way that that journey kind of started for me was very practical. So I was like, I don't know what it is I want to do. So let me learn about things that will be applicable in pretty much everything. So... I just find this so interesting. So you start there. Mm-hmm. I want to actually start a little bit before that. Because sure. you say, you said to yourself, mm-hmm. I don't want to do nothing. Which suggests to me that you thought you were doing nothing mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. What made you think at 21 mm-hmm. that you thought you were doing nothing? What, what made you feel mm-hmm. that? I was definitely very self-critical of myself at that age. And the way that I felt that I was doing nothing is because when I would examine my life, I would try to understand or I would try to make my life fit in a box of marketable skills. skills. And it was this idea that I have nothing to barter with. 
What made you think that you had nothing to barter? With? Because I feel like if I were to go to a convention or some sort of gathering, and people would go, "Oh, what do you do?" Okay. Uh, I don't really know. I don't have anything to offer you. That's that's what it felt like at the time. Like there was things that I did that I enjoyed, but it didn't feel like any of it was marketable. I couldn't offer you the things that I was doing as a transaction for something that you would do for me in return. And so there's that feeling of low value because I had nothing that I could give you in exchange for what you had to offer. What well, <clears throat> would you say that any part of this felt relative to others? So you know, when you say low value mm-hmm. or, or marketable, mm-hmm. uh, was there this feeling that you might have been, you know, like as you're being critical of yourself, you're also observing others and saying, oh, yeah. oh that person looks very marketable because they oh, yeah. seem to have that because they have these things, which I apparently don't have. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? So, oh, yeah. I mean, we're it's not just us, right? It's like this. We're socialized that construct, right? Of, right? of comparing and achieving yeah. and what the status looks yeah. like. Oh, you have a university degree? Check. You have this? Check. Yeah, exactly. So, so what were those things? Yeah. yeah, like what Tree was saying, like you're always swimming in some sort of pool. Right. And it's all about perspective, depending on what pool you're in at that time. And at that time, I was knee-deep in self-development. So it was like Tony Robbins and a bunch of other gurus and sales experts and all these things. And I was just like examining their lives and reading their books and watching their videos and seeing all these things that they've done for themselves. And then there's just me sitting in my brother's bedroom, um, hopping from part-time job to part-time job, feeling like I wasn't developing any hard skills or even soft skills. I didn't feel like I was cultivating anything. Um, the a lot of self-sabotage or uh, the critic within me, a lot of the stuff that it was saying is that I couldn't stick to anything, that I would be intrigued. I'm a fast learner, so I get through the first learning curve really quickly, but then I get stuck at that first plateau. I never push myself to actually become an expert in anything. And so then I would hop around from thing to thing and just always feel like I wasn't breaking through in anything. So can we now go even further? Back? Sure. So <laughs> what's interesting is that at 21, you're, mm-hmm. you have this moment, right? You mm-hmm. start reflecting. Before that, there's this building up of, um, of you know, what's relative, mm-hmm. of what, what value is. Mm-hmm. We talked about that, like how we socialize it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what's interesting, though, is I find that when you go further back, because I've had the same sort of thing happen, mm-hmm. but at some point in time, we thought we were doing all right. Oh, yeah. Can we go back to that point? Sure. Where we thought we were, you think, hey, I'm doing great. Yeah. What? Because that came even before. Yeah. So how can you go from doing great to thinking you're oh, doing sad. nothing to thinking <laughs> yeah. you got to do something? Wait, wait. Yeah. Wait, let's go back to the part that we thought where we were doing great. Yeah. And I want to understand that because when you look back on it, we weren't doing great according mm-hmm. to the 21-year-old version. Yeah. So what? where did it start? further back where yeah you figured hey i'm doing just fine yeah what were what were what was that version of you say sure yeah i think it's i think when you're at least my experience was when you're in it you don't really realize that you're in it and so right. it was just flowing right and for me that was like high school like high school years there's just everything was great um this i had great yeah i, I you know i was popular to a degree in the sense where like I connected with everyone I wasn't really part of a specific group but like you know I had no problems with anyone and I was able to like just jump into like any group at the lunch table and just be like hey what are you guys doing today type of thing so that felt cool um had the girl which was awesome yeah there's an acceptance and and it was an ease of acceptance there's never a nervousness of me approaching a lunch group that I've never really interacted with before it was just very easy for me to go hey you know I, I sat beside you at, in this class and I'd go talk to him and all of his friends at that table. And then I spend the whole lunch there, right. not nervous in the slightest, just kind of like shooting the shit, talking back and forth and all that kind of stuff, which was great. Right. Um, had the girl, which is awesome too, right? Made a strong connection with someone we dated from, I believe we started in grade 10 until after high school as well. So there's just that steady relationship all the way through. Um, family was doing really well. My dad has a painting business and things were going really well in the business, so... Money was never really a thing that crossed my mind during those ages. So everything was going well in like the social aspect, the personal aspect, the relationship and the family 
aspect. Everything was kind of flowing well. Um, but then after high school, a lot of those things started to deteriorate. Some of them at the same time and right on top of each other. Um, my relationship got really rocky. My dad's business started to collapse. I started not socializing. I started becoming more introverted and kind of like shutting myself off from everyone and everything. And when I broke down that those three things, the family, the social, and the relationship, all I was left with was like me and myself. And then it just became a parade of self-berating, just like self-sabotage. Oh, you're not this. You're not good enough. You couldn't maintain the relationship. You know, you're, you come from a family of failures and so on and so forth. And just like, you know, your friends don't want to hang out with you anymore. And just like a lot of that self-sabotage just started to come on. And it's one of those things like you don't realize that it's happening, but you kind of see it build up over time. Um, what's funny, I always have this one very clear example in regards to the family business that made me feel poor. And it was like so clear of a transition for me because uh, my family would always buy Wonder Bread. And then one day I opened the fridge and there's no more Wonder Bread. It was like this no-name bread. And I remember grabbing the loaf and just like looking at it. And it was just like, okay, like this, this is life now. Like this is where I'm at in life right now. And it was just like really interesting moment at that time. And I feel like I, I make it a bigger moment as I think back to it. Maybe it wasn't this big when I was actually doing it, but it, it definitely was enough to be anchored into something. The, the thing that comes out for me when I'm hearing what you're saying is, you're the same person mm-hmm. at the, through all of those stages. Yeah, I was about to say that. But your worth and your perception of worth mm-hmm. of yourself shifts based on the external circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I guess for me is like what life has storms is going to happen around us, mm-hmm. right? So the thing of it is, is we are always intrinsically these certain things. We're always like kind and smart or generous or funny mm-hmm. or whatever. Those are really the core values. The other stuff is superfluous. Like it's, it's superficial. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, money is not a real thing. You know, the, the currency that comes with quote unquote education is not a real thing, even though we're in a 3D kind of world. So I guess the issue or the, the question would be looking at it through that lens or that context would be how has that shifted for you in the sense that your worth or is it shifted? Is your worth something that's something that is stable mm-hmm. like, as you go through life's experiences? Because it was such a, a shift for you there where your mm-hmm. worth, which is always a constant, it's always the same. Mm-hmm. But in your perspective, it went down as mm-hmm. those external things came on you. Yeah. Yeah. So looking back on it now, I could confidently say that, yeah, the worth is consistent the way I see it from the day you're born to the day you die, there's no such thing as improving the self. All there is is really actualizing the potential that has always existed within you. So I see that now. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't see that. So what helped you see that? Just a lot of time in meditation, probably spending all that time by myself. And um, journaling was a big factor in that as well, because um, when I first started journaling, it was out of pain and a lot of emotion. So I would write very emotionally and I would skew things intentionally in my writing to make it more grandiose, right? To make it more emotional or more powerful or whatever it was. And slowly over years by continuously writing that feeling of needing to be grandiose would start to settle down and I would journal in a way that was more concrete and more reflective it's kind of like with a mirror started as a funhouse mirror where i was warping everything and slowly over time the mirror started to regulate itself and started to give me more of a clear reflection in that um but at that time i feel what i was experiencing with that shift uh, you use the metaphor of the storm um i feel like that was the first storm i've ever really been in um i came from a really good childhood i never really had any issues growing up my parents always provided for me my family was always strong I mean, we lived, I think it was about seven of us in a household because my aunt and uncle and their kids lived with us. So there's always like a really strong family connection. And through that connection, I was very um, comfortable socializing with others because I was always surrounded by people. And so socializing with others was no problem for me. And so I feel like it was when all those things started to collapse at that age, I had attachment to those things. I was those things at that time. And so I feel like that's was kind of like that necessary journey of realizing you're not those things. That's not who you are. Those are 
extensions and maybe even expressions of who you are, but they're not you at the core central version of what you're capable of. Remember that, what was it, a Jodie Foster movie called Contact mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. Remember that? With the aliens. With the aliens? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I think about the alien thing, but yeah, it was alien stuff, right? What really stands out to me that movie is when she's sitting in front of uh, like this panel in the end describing her experience. And great acting at this one moment where she gives a speech and she talks about if we only realized, like by looking at this universe and our place in it, how simultaneously we are both so, so special mm-hmm. and so, so insignificant, insignificant <laughs> yeah. at the exact same time. Yeah. And just keeping that duality. In, in just perfect balance, we yeah. will understand. What's interesting as I hear you talk about, that's what it reminds me of. Because mm-hmm. in high school, we're, the insignificant part hasn't kicked in. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. The, how special I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm part of this group. I'm part of that group. I have yeah. all these friends, this girl, blah, 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 all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And you cannot be complete without realizing how insignificant we are at the exact same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You talk about actualization. I think there's nothing more than that in actualization. Like yeah. the perfect understanding of these two aspects of what we are. What I find is that I've gone through it. You've gone through it. You've gone through it. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. And everybody, it seems, mm-hmm. doesn't just go through it accidentally. It's like we must go through yeah. this. Yeah to be able to finish. And so when we look back at when the 21-year-old or the what you are now, I keep thinking you're 21, like you're so young. So it's like everybody looks young to me. So. I'm not 21 anymore. No, I, so. <laughs> I, I, I think you could pass as 21. But... Maybe if I shave. No, you got the look, man. You got this like very like young look. So it's great. So when you, well, my point for bringing it up is you can look back on it now. Mm-hmm. But I really want you to stay in that when I was 18, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the times when we're going through what we're going through, whether it's at 21 or 25 or 30 or 40, it starts like that learning, that ingraining, mm-hmm. the accepting of the relative worth of who we are starts way earlier on. That's why I like spending that time in that zone mm-hmm. to understand, because that's where some of our like our, our beliefs or what we call our sacreds are built. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had all the, everything going for you, yet it seems like you were, according to your 21-year-old version, mm-hmm. doing nothing. Yeah. So while we're on this high, we're actually doing nothing. Is that mm-hmm. even a possibility? Yeah. Would you actually go back to that 18-year-old and be yeah. like, dude, you're doing nothing, actually? Yeah. Is that how you would say it? No, 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 not quite, not quite. Like, what's coming up for me now, um, I feel the best way to describe my situation at that time is I was in the optimal environment. So the environment was stable, it was safe, comfortable, you know, abundant, lots of opportunity for relationships and all that kind of stuff. Very good in that sense. But what I feel was that I was lacking was a tool set. And so although my environment was safe and all those great things, there was no necessity for me to develop any tools. And then so when all those storms started to come in and I had to deal with all these emotions and, you know, real life changes, like our house was almost paid off. We were like, I think, down to $100,000 of, you know, of the mortgage. And within, I believe it was about four years, we were back up to 700000 because my dad wasn't willing to adapt. He was not, he worked so hard to build the business and create this life for us in Canada that when the 2008 recession hit, he refused to accept it and refused to adapt and slowly kept putting us more and more debt because he wouldn't adjust the lifestyle. And, and he would say, look, I got us this far. So yeah, exactly. me. Um, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. I, can, I can understand that exactly. Yeah. And when he would look back on it, it would look like I wasn't adapting. But at that moment, it'd be like, but I am resilient. I'm get through this. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that amazing? I call yeah. it like your blessing is your curse. Yeah. But in terms of yourself now, as you're going through this, now mm-hmm. you come to this awareness. Mm-hmm. And it, you just said something really interesting to me. You said you didn't think now, looking back. Mm-hmm. that you had the 
tools. The tools, yeah, the emotional it's tools. Funny when we talk about when I, we're talking about building or training or whatever, learning, <laughs> it's it's getting tools. Yeah. But whoever thinks they're going to need that tool right. because it hasn't presented <laughs> until itself, you need it, so you're like, why would I need this? <laughs> How many times have people in high school said, "What do I ever? Where am I ever going to use this? Yeah. I don't need this mm-hmm. because I never actually." Face that. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing I think is an important point to highlight mm-hmm. is that often we get opportunities coming our way to get tools, mm-hmm. to learn stuff, but we pass. Yeah. I think, A, that's a, that's a choice we need well, to take accountability for, don't you think? Yeah. And just and reflecting on what you're saying through my perspective is I had a very different upbringing than him. Okay. And I had to learn tools really, really early, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't take so that away. So which one was abundant? The one right. who added and, and it's all saying? about perce- it's all about perception of it because I feel at 21 in context of all the adverse experiences I had, I had way more tools than your 21-year-old version mm-hmm. of yourself. And I think sometimes when we have these illusions of security, quote unquote, <laughs> such as you know, stable family, income, supportive. Things. These are all great things, mm-hmm. but they give an illusion to us that oh, yeah. we we have to um, achieve that or that, that that's what happiness or is. Or that it'll be there forever. Or we it'll don't be need there to worry. forever. Yeah. Or we're attaching. Yeah. We're, we're so attached to these things, right? So when you lose a house or you lose a family member, you lose jobs or whatever or it is. Or the wonder bread. Or the wonder, or the wonder bread. bread. I love that. It's <laughs> just like, and me mom, I had him like, wonder bread's not even good bread. <laughs> that's that's going to be like, a chapter in the book. It's going to be titled wonder bread. Yeah. yeah. You write yeah. your story. But the it's, wonder bread chapter. But it's just like, the, you know, you've had, you, you've come, you're raised in, compared to me, raised in a situation of privilege, mm-hmm. right? And, um, but, but privilege doesn't always beget how you feel or gives you the opportunities or the tools. That's the thing. It's always an internal. Yeah. It's always an internal thing. Yeah. Um, which is just so wild. That's why the mirror always comes back to us. Well, all the time, well right? again, why I love your story is because some people would say by twenty one, even just like, oh, you know, you're you're late to the game. Right, and mm-hmm. then do you ever did you feel that all of a sudden that okay yeah. I'm out of high school now I got to yeah how did the, talk about that now because yeah that is also it it, it um, how do you say it like it it accelerates the the fall the fall down yeah it gets mm-hmm. deeper now because you're comparing yeah. more too because right? now you're like I don't have it and I wasted the opportunity mm-hmm. and you talk about that in your writing probably mm-hmm. and then you the realization makes it even worse because of how we're dealing with it. Right. Yeah. I'm late now. And then there's this feeling of like, uh Oh, and the panic starts setting in. Was there any of that going on or was it, was it just like a, an objective moment? No, no, that was definitely going on. Um, I think one of the reasons that was going on is uh, there's, there's a bit of an age gap between me and my parents. I was born when my dad was 39 and my mom was 36 and so as I started hitting my teenage years, they were like well into their 50s and, and 60s. Um, well, yeah, 50s and 60s. And so such different generational gap and different mindset that like right out of high school, you're supposed to be working. Like you're supposed to like dive right in. Um, and, if, and they understood the importance of school. So it was like if you're not working, you got to go to school. And so I told my mom that I, I remember having this conversation with my parents. I wanted to take the first year off. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I had no clue. This was like when all that stuff really started to kind of like tumble on me. And I didn't have the tools to sit with myself and process things and make decisions under pressure. And it was just like, I genuinely don't know what I want to do. I feel like if I go to school right now, I'm going to be wasting my time and I'm going to be wasting my money. Uh, I have two older siblings. My brother never went to college and my sister went for like a one-year program. And so my parents were terrified that if I don't go to college now, I'm never going to go. And so this is where the tool of standing up for yourself would have been good to just have an honest conversation with them and be like, hey, if I do this now, it's not going to go well. Trust me and give me the space. But at the time, I was more accommodating to them. You know, they've given me so much. I didn't want to upset them. So I agreed to go to school. 
And that, they saw as like a way to build up your tools. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And it ended up just being a waste of a year. I ended up uh, dropping out halfway through the second semester. And my professors were calling me. They're like, dude, like you're almost there. Just complete the year. Yeah. And there was just such a huge disconnect with me from the structure of school and the programming and all that stuff that was going on there that I just couldn't force myself to do. I couldn't make myself sit through it and ended up dropping out. And then I finally got to take that year off, which I feel like in that year, that's where a lot of this growth started to take place because it was like, like, finally, my life feels like my own. You know, finally, these are my decisions that I'm making now. So that's the next kind of thing I'd really like to kind of Feel back a little more understand, right? So in this year, so you're around 21 now. This would this would have been like this would have been like no, this would have been like 1920. Okay, 1920. Okay, so that's where it started happening. Yeah, and you had you finally you feel like you got the space, and now you're kind of owning your decision, owning your time, yeah, owning your life and your space again. Yeah, and you're your own person. Yeah. so you feel that that was important to you mm-hmm. for you to start actually getting clarity and knowing whether it was your decision or somebody else's decision. It allowed me to know where I, st- where I stood, right? It allowed me to know how capable I am of standing on my own two feet. And it was also when I realized that I sucked at it. Well, it was just like terrible, like terrible time management, terrible um, self-accountability and all these things I realized like wow like I can't manage myself I really can't manage myself I can't hold myself accountable I can't it's a struggle for me to be accountable to others so like all these realizations about myself starting to come through and of course like I said through the journaling there's a lot of self-berating I would exaggerate these things to make them more poetic in a sense what got you to start thinking about journaling uh, it, it was the breakup. It was the breakup with my partner that I was dating in high school. We broke up maybe a year, two years after high school. So she breaks up with you. She says you should start a journal. Oh, it, it's such a mess. I can't even like that. It, no, right. no. Okay, it's such so, a messy breakup. We we dragged it out for basically so. two years. Yeah. But yeah. What I want to understand is that that where did this idea come from? That Just necessity. No, it, where did, how did you learn about journaling as a tool? Yeah, as an like all of a sudden one day, that's it? Just poetry, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, okay. There's a bit more clarity now. Um, it was a tool of manipulation in the beginning. And I was writing poetry to manipulate my ex-partner into loving me again. I would try to convince her that I'm still okay. worthy of her love, and I would use poetry okay. to do that. Okay. Um, how does that... How does that morph into journalizing? It felt good. It it, it felt good to express myself onto a page. And though obviously the attempts didn't work, you know, we're not together, obviously. Um, But there was a certain sense of release that I experienced while writing. And even though it wasn't, it was interesting because even though it wasn't accepted, I still felt good about the experience and like, like I created this, I made this with my own two hands and my mind, and it was just—it was a. So your 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 focus started shifting. Yeah. From. From her. From her. Mm-hmm. The groups of people. Mm-hmm. The dead of your family or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Wonder Bread. To now you. Yeah. Um. Wouldn't you say that's called reflection? That's the beginning of it? The beginning of self-reflection, yeah. So it seems to be like this constant, I keep hearing it. It's like um, when we hear about stories of others Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and these these expressions of helplessness and despair, it's always, I find, in relative senses. And as soon as people start just reflecting, Mm-hmm. Just on themselves, yeah. even though they might be really harsh on themselves. Yeah. That's where it starts. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. It's like the slap and then the kiss, right? Yeah. Or whichever order. Yeah. But once when we start doing that, as imperfect as we might be in doing mm-hmm. it, like you didn't get, you didn't go look up how to journalize. No. You just started writing. Yeah. And that was the beginning. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So what, the accountability is always interesting to me because... Many people lack it, and it's always a work in progress for those of us that have awareness of it, right? So, like, what were what would be the epiphanies of accountability? Because, um, 
when I think of accountability, I think of, okay, what am I bringing to the table that could potentially bias or put a lens on this situation that I need to hold myself accountable for? Like if I have an anger management trigger or if I know certain situations are going to activate me, then I'm accountable to to keep those biases and judgments in check so they're not then projected onto others. So what what's your experience with that concept or do you even identify with that kind of process of accountability or does it mean something different for you? Hmm. I think it was I think it was all internal of an experience of accountability. It was never so much about me being accountable to others or family or community. It was always about being accountable to myself. So I think it would be more accurate to rather say accountability but authenticity. Mm. It was more about being authentically to who I am despite what my family wanted and despite what people thought of me. Okay. And so that was that was the experience through the writing was trying to find that authentic self. And um, when it started, it, it was like a dam breaking down. So like in the beginning, there's just like this huge rush of emotion. And so, like I said, it started with poetry, just like poem after poem, multiple times a day, I would just be writing multiple poems. And then slowly over time, it morphed into like actual analysis of my life and of my you know how did today go what are the things i didn't like about my actions how could i improve that did you read up on how to do this or did you just do it just slowly over time it it wasn't with the intention of like i want to improve my journaling skills but it was through that expression of writing i would eventually start reading books as well and some of those books would talk about journaling um and the style of journaling so like the first thing that comes to mind now is um stoicism like Marcus Aurelius and his style of journaling, which was just very much, he would sit down and just like critique his day. And he would do it as objectively as he could. Now, of course, he's a very like stark example, but um, I took some of those skills or, or at least those ideas and kind of dropped them into the pot and allowed them to brew and make them into my own to a degree. That's what I love about what you're saying is that without any tools, mm-hmm. you acknowledge that mm-hmm. you're able to develop yourself mm-hmm. just yourself yeah um and when it occurred to you you could read up on a book yeah on marcus aurelius or whoever you wanted yeah and you could take from wherever you wanted and in your way made up your own concoction yeah. of how to journalize yeah i think the essence of like the beginnings is right there um that's where you start of course yeah. and and it makes sense why you start there yeah so that starts opening doors now for you right like mm-hmm. opening doors in terms of now your perceptions yeah. self-expression is so big for that right yeah right yeah. and uh and so at what point in time do you feel like it started i don't like asking about how long it takes because everybody i think has a different their own pace mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um but it's interesting to know for me that it actually doesn't take a long time before you when you look back on it from the chaos writing, the you know, yeah. the brain dump, oh, yeah. to actually having some structure, yeah. to now actually making it constructive. Yeah. Did you find that in your journalizing, you started going through these phases? Oh, 100%. And then started going from journalizing to then planning ahead? Did uh, start happening? Not quite at the planning stage yet, right. I'd say that. Um, but all these realizations that you just kind of listed and described they would come to me not through the process of writing, but through the reviewing of my journals. So right. oh, okay. um, there'd be times where like, I, I was just like struggling emotionally, just having a hard time. I was down on myself. And for whatever reason, I was drawn to open up old journals and just kind of like see what I was writing about at the time. And there's, there's, there's a, a spectrum of experiences because it was interesting to see how far I've come. Okay. And like, I, and then I would read a little bit about my journal and that, that would inspire new things for me to write. Because I remember very clearly, if you look at like my first journal or two, they're scribbles. And a year or so later, I, when I recognized that, what I journaled about is how I wrote that way intentionally because I was scared of how people would interpret my thoughts. And I wanted them to be as close to illegible as possible because I don't want people to know how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. And then because of that, I would read some things and some things I couldn't understand because I wrote them in such a mess. I was like, ah, oh, like I, this, I this could be something. Yeah, I can't even reflect. This could have been so, something great. So when you were writing, mm-hmm. you had 
did you did it occur to you while you were writing that the future <laughs> that the future version of yourself is going to look back on this or were you just writing just writing exactly just writing so, right otherwise you would have made it more understandable to the guy in the future looking back on this yeah but it's a message in a bottle to yourself in the future mm-hmm. and you're doing this not even realizing it yeah that's what i love about the human mind mm-hmm. like how we are that's why i keep saying to people like we're destined to succeed because look at how you you self check how you mm-hmm. self correct mm-hmm. and in the midst of saying to yourself that you're doing nothing and have nothing yeah. you have something yeah. even when you said you have nothing yeah, yeah. oh my gosh that's crazy <laughs> yeah like think about that again so if i were to ask you again right did you really actually have nothing mm-hmm. no <laughs> that's the crazy it's the, part it's the lie we tell ourselves yeah. right <clears throat> yet it was so <laughs> real to you right now oh yeah that i have nothing yeah, yeah. i've been goofing around i don't know where i want to go yeah. yeah but you had all this the tools mm-hmm. inside of you all this time and 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 it's um saying to yourself that you don't have it that actually started bringing it to the surface yeah mm-hmm. out of an, out of necessity right yeah that's well, crazy yeah, discomfort yeah <laughs> and discomfort times, right absolutely yeah so I, that's no no go on i, was I just, just thought think, that was an interesting thing yeah it is like, you mm-hmm. said you had nothing in you um, and you, so you said you were looking at the writings to bring out your authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone who's been on the journey of authentic self has a meandering path. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you're looking at the perception or looking at this through the perspective of authentic self, what were the exercises or actions that you took in? And they're likely not cognizant. They're likely just things that you, um, I mean, they may have been cognizant, but they're not always cognizant. So mm-hmm. what would be things that you would have done to invite more that aligns with your authentic self? And, and how does that translate into your relationships? Cause you said you have very different viewpoints than your parents. I think most of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a level of coexisting with people who are not aligned with what you find is authentically resonating with you. Mm-hmm. And then what do you create for yourself in terms of your lived opportunities or your life experiences that you are inviting? What is aligning? Because if we're not in alignment or authentic, then we're, we're going to repeat the same patterns and we're going to have the same pitfalls. So mm-hmm. I know it was a really roundabout question, but like summarize it for me <laughs> where your authentic self, like where mm-hmm. talk to about that journey and, and how to bring what aligns and the challenges with that it could be with your family. It could be, with friends, it could be with occupations, partners, mm-hmm. whatever. Because being authentic, every, being authentic to who you are, is going to um, be at the core of everything that will help you feel successful or mm-hmm. help reinforce your feelings of mm-hmm. self worth, right? Mm-hmm. Because then you're not always denying yourself. Yeah, yeah. So the journal was the seedling of my authentic self. It was a space where there was never a thought of anyone ever reading these pages. And so it allowed me to fully express whatever I was feeling at the time. And sometimes things were very, you know, grand and just like very uplifting. And sometimes things were really dark and and scary and, you know... um, rancid even at times some of the thoughts that would come through my mind but there's just the relationship with the journal that it never felt judged in any shape or form and even reflecting on my own journals I never judged myself which is something I'm realizing now as I say it which is such an interesting thing because I spent so much time judging myself Mm -hmm. but when I would write about that self-judgment and then I would read it I wouldn't, I wouldn't judge the judgment. It would just be what it is. I was like, wow, like I, this is how I thought about myself. So that's progress. Mm-hmm. So that's progress, yeah. yeah. And then the journaling also created some uh, hurdles as well. Because like how I was saying, I would reflect on some of the things I'd write. And I would read some things that I felt were so insightful. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, how can I ever write anything better than this? Right. And so then that ego game started where I was like, okay, now i got to top myself. Now i got to be 
more insightful. I got to be more creative. And so then that started a whole. But like, that's a good use of ego in some ways because you're you're pushing yourself to get better. I think so, but. I think there's a difference between pushing myself to get better and allowing myself to be more authentic. And I feel like pushing myself to get better has the potential to warp the journey of being more authentic. Like I said earlier, um, authenticity is something that always is. It's always there. It's just about allowing yourself to align with it. And so the journal is where the first place that started. And from the journal, it actually expanded into like my bedroom my space and it was in that space I felt very comfortable being who I was and the memory that comes to mind to me is um I love cloaks I love wearing cloaks you've seen me wear them before cloaks so just like a giant cloth yeah like a giant scarf like really big scarf and you just wrap it around yourself in a way where you like you could have a hood or not but just like it covers your whole body and I always felt like that resonated with me internally. But I'd never feel comfortable wearing it outside of the house, right. let alone outside of the bedroom. I didn't want my family seeing me wearing this. But I would put the cloak on and I would just look at myself in the mirror. I and I would feel so that. good about it. What version of yourself was it that you could see as authentic here and not authentic somewhere else? And you just described it perfectly. Yeah. Can I ask you a quick like? housekeeping question yeah yeah because this journaling thing is really it's a great thing and what i'm wondering is it's just a quick thing and we move on Mm -hmm. did did you like have to schedule how did you like make time to every night like you just said to yourself i'm not going to sleep until i do this or like did you skip a night is it a matter like it happened quite naturally it happened quite naturally one night every night started writing started writing that was it yeah i do this every night And what motivated you to keep on doing that because some nights like you know you're tired you're sleepy it was late yeah. got caught up in something it, it would me it would it would meander but i basically had two strategies a lot of the time i actually spent journaling in my bed okay so the journal would be on my pillow okay so it was like i get in the bed so my journal's easy there to access it was there um i eventually shifted from the upstairs bedroom to a basement bedroom that was a bit bigger so i was able to have a desk right. um my journal was open on the desk 24 7 with the pen clicked on it was okay. just like as little friction as possible. Yeah, as little friction as possible. Um, and there would be times where I'd crawl into bed and then realize I forgot to journal. And there would be like, you know, a five-minute yeah. tassel where it's yeah. like, ah, yeah, just yeah. go to bed. It's like, yeah. no, I can't. Did you ever like, I skip a day here and there at first? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so there would also like, be phases. Yeah, just, yeah. You kind of work your way into it. And, and there would be phases where I would go months without journaling. Okay. And then I would journal about how I've gone months without journaling. Okay. And I started realizing there was a certain pattern that I would only journal when I was sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would only journal when something was wrong and I needed right. to process something. And through that realization, I was like, well, journaling is such a beautiful thing. I don't want it to be just this. Right. And so from there, it took a little bit more effort. But then I was like, okay, let's just journal more regularly, even if things are good. Like eating broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, yeah. I like broccoli. Oh, well, I did like broccoli growing yeah. up, but I would think about it like that. It's yeah. Journaling is yeah. like this effort at first. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do it today. I'm tired. You make excuses, right? I yeah. would. I would. I yeah. think we do it with anything self-care related, though. Mm-hmm. We okay. find... Mm-hmm. great ways to self-sabotage our own care like we do this like exercise eating properly mm. yeah. journaling yeah. sleeping properly yeah true eating too much drinking like we all do these things huh. mm-hmm. and engage in behaviors that are actually against our best interests right yeah. so so he caught himself so that's interesting because even though it wasn't perfect it wasn't routine there were breaks yeah um you just stuck with it it just kind of Okay, <clears throat> thank you for that. That was yeah. that was something I wanted to understand. Um, now you start touching on the next thing that that I find interesting. You're already getting there. Is that you're the expansion mm-hmm. of who you are, and you already started talking about it by going from one size room to an, another, a larger area. Mm-hmm. So like your your pond yeah. and who you are <laughs> grows, mm-hmm. right? And then eventually, um, now you can be more comfortable to be now you mm-hmm. your authentic self and be okay with it and confident outside that door of that basement mm-hmm. you know room of yours yeah um again I'm, I'm not so fussed about the time that it takes but there are phases clear phases yeah mm-hmm. you went from a smaller space you felt you need a large space when at what point in time and i don't mean like time as in you know a number mm-hmm. but at what at what 
When did you journey. feel? Oh, yeah. When do you feel that you go? I'm ready to now go outside the other side of that door. Yeah. What was the What was the thought that led to that? I'm curious. Mm-hmm. So now you're going outside of your these 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 zones. Now yeah. you're you're breaking through these zones. Yeah. Well, did it happen in a moment, or did it happen just kind of like gradually? The The first thing I'd love to bring clarity to is that transition from the smaller room to the bigger room. It didn't quite happen like that. There yeah. was a step in between as sure. well. Oh. Uh, if you want to try to keep that metaphor intact, where I was, I was in a smaller room upstairs with windows, oh. and then I was moved into the basement, which was the smallest room with no windows. Okay. So my family had the joke we called it the dungeon. Oh, I, yeah, I lived yeah, in the yeah, dungeon. Really, it was yeah, pitch black yeah, yeah, sure. all the time. Sure. Um, very cramped space. Not much room for anything other than sleep. And so that's where I felt most confined. And I feel that's where a lot of um, internal exploration took place. And that's that's where a lot of my journaling in bed took place because I was about to ask you just out of curiosity that your journalism increase yeah journaling journaling yeah. yeah you know at that point in time so yeah. you move into a, a, a less comfortable space and you, yeah and that starts so it was the desk and that was in the other room though. that was in the third room oh, that I eventually oh, okay. moved to so interesting okay. yeah so it's like it's like the the and then never a straight line yeah yeah I love that yeah but that's everybody yeah exactly so okay so carry on yeah. So, so thanks for clarifying that. And yeah. then now at this point in time here, you're now, you, you've been journaling for a while. Got your cloak. You're, you're, you got your cloak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that. The cloak, that's the chapter. Yeah. The Wonder Bread, the cloak. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. This is a great book. Yeah. And, um, and so now you're ready to go. What's the next chapter? What are you going to call it? I don't know, but definitely wasn't ready. And it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, a conscientious choice that was made it once again it felt like it was more out of necessity it was just uh, or maybe more out of circumstance it was just transition of life taking place and I was like here's your new environment everything's now new this is when I moved out of my brother's house back to my parents house in Fort Erie which was even a smaller space Mm -hmm. but bigger space outdoors Mm -hmm. so it was like smaller space internally but more space with nature and trees and right. bigger backyard and all that stuff, which felt nice. But where was your state of mind? Like, where did you feel like transition moving? Up? Oh, terrible. Yeah? Terrible. Yeah, there's a huge wave of anxiety. That's when I started realizing that I, I experienced anxiety. To me, anxiety was this very foreign thing that I didn't think happened to me. And then I realized anxiety has been happening to me all this time. Uh-huh. And it just, like, culminated. Uh, it came to full bloom. When I moved to my parents' house, waking up in the middle of the night, super nauseous, feeling like puking, just heart racing, like, I don't know what the, I don't know what's happening here. And then I spoke to a friend who has a lot of anxiety. She's like, yeah, you're just having an anxiety attack. And then I did a little bit of research into it, and it's just like, yeah, changes of environment can cause anxiety. And it was also what was attached with those changes. So hearing this, I feel like it's like another version of what happened when you were 21. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, but this time you're like, what, at, by this age, 20... This would have been 26, 27, so this is later. Okay, so interesting, because I've heard about these cycles, like seven-year cycles. So here it is. I'm seeing it again. Yeah. Uh, it happens with me, too. So it's it's interesting that no matter how you time it or who you are, mm-hmm. it all happens. happens. Yeah. Yeah. So um, after all of this building up your tools, mm-hmm. now you have more. Mm-hmm. You're aware that you have more. Mm-hmm. You never had anxiety attacks before. Yeah. But now you're having anxiety attacks. Yeah. When you have more tools. Yeah. Isn't that like, that, I'm, that's such a curious thing. The anxiety attacks were always there. I just didn't recognize them as oh, anxiety. Okay. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have the verbiage to kind of like label it, mm-hmm. to then categorize it, mm-hmm. to then eventually process and integrate it. So these things were happening, but they were just happenings yeah. mm-hmm. there was nothing i could do about them they just were things that took place and oftentimes with anxiety you um <clears throat> i'm not saying this is your perception but i know for some, many people is when they have moments of anxiety it's usually because you did this or you didn't do this or mm-hmm. you created this situation and mm-hmm. that discomfort you have is because of someone else not doing something mm-hmm. or not doing something up to par or creating a circumstance but really mm-hmm. it's our anxiety around the situation that is then projecting that onus onto the other person. So yeah. that probably came out from your journaling. You probably mm-hmm. saw that, the anxiety come out. Yeah. Yeah, and it allowed me to kind of um, 
start to label it and to understand it. Like, I feel like that's what started happening when I moved back to my parents' house. Like, the strong feeling about moving back to my parents' house is, I think, in in any person's life, it feels like a step backwards. You know, even though I was living with my brother, I wasn't, like, you know, out of out on my own. But there was a sense of separation. And now I, I retracted that. And so there's a sense of failure that came with that all of a sudden. And now another thought, you got to do something. And got to do something. So this, I got to do something comes up. Yeah. again and again and again yeah. and in spite of your progress that you're making mm-hmm. you're looking back on yourself and being like what have, what have you quite. actually done yeah yeah you had all these like you're you're growing so yeah. it's possible okay that somebody's growing and not feeling the growth 100 percent. okay well that's an important thing to yeah. understand yeah. don't you think like yeah. somebody's growing you're okay yeah. how do you tell a person who doesn't feel that they're growing that you're okay yeah. How do you tell somebody that? You did it when we spoke about earlier today, when you, the, the person that you had the conversation with that you said, I, I don't know why they're so great, grateful for what I did. All I did was tell them that they're doing a great job and affirmed all their skills. But people don't always have that internal self-talk, right? So mm-hmm. um, when they hear someone else from like a, a system perspective say something like that, that can create a shift sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's again the 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 value of ourselves being put in control of some, some someone mm-hmm. outside ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Instead of looking and again, that's a choice. Hundred percent crazy. Mm-hmm. So okay, now you see all of this now looking back. <laughs> yeah. So is that now what like that's what I love about where you are because now you're at this point right that mm-hmm. you've seen all of these things. Mm-hmm. Honest question. Yeah. Do you still ever sometimes? feel i gotta do something <clears throat> that same uh-oh uh, wh- where am i i'm not there where i want to be yeah 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 100 percent. but is your reaction with the same level of you know despair volatility no definitely not okay. definitely not now there's a a lot more of space created between the thought and the emotional reaction to the thought it gives me that time to process it and um, mitigate the emotional volatility of how I would tend to respond. You know, before I'd be scribbling on the page and how I'm worthless and I'm never going to be anything and all this kind of stuff. Whereas now it's like, these are valid feelings. It, it's, it's okay that you're having these thoughts. These are the reasons why you're having these thoughts. And these are the feelings that are coming up around these thoughts. So let's sit with it for a little bit. There's no reason to want them to go away or anything because my experience has been the more you want to push something away it tends to have the opposite response so it's like just sit with it whatever it is you're feeling that's what you're supposed to be feeling so sit with it yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 um so that's interesting because as much as as far as you you come Mm -hmm. um and we all have our own distances that we cover it's our journey right come a long way Mm mm-hmm um, you don't let go of this journaling that you it's, do. It's like a relationship with a really good friend. You could go without a year without seeing each other, but when you meet again, it's like you right. pick up like you've never left. So really? there's never a concern with me about losing journaling. Okay. So you don't feel like you have to do it every night. Exactly. I don't feel like if I don't do it on a regular basis that I'm going to, you know, not get a call back from my journal you know it never feels like that there's always that sense of security in that relationship that it's going to be there when i need it to be there and so that allows me to be authentic in my journal rather than oh i gotta i gotta journal because if i don't journal today then i won't journal tomorrow and then i'm going to lose this skill right when you look back on your journal you've done it repeatedly yeah um now are you getting like different um sort of perspectives than you even had when you looked at the same moment mm-hmm. or when you did that in your past? Yeah. Are there new things coming out constantly? Or is it like you look at it and you're like, okay, that was that and I don't need to look at it again? Uh, no, no. It comes up a lot. And sometimes I would review same the same things and have different perspectives on them. It's constantly shifting. And I guess like one of the developments is in my earlier journals, in my earlier writing, it was a lot of... Um, punchlines there's a lot of like one sentences zingers you know just try to like capture it all in one sentence whereas now it's a lot more expressive and flowing in the emotion and just 
following the journey as I go along in that process. And so that's been a really interesting thing for me because it kind of felt like before it was like like uh, a single tree that was planted. And now it feels like I'm planting forests at oh, a time. Nice. I right? like that So it's image. like... That so, is a good one. Yeah. So two things I'm going to ask you like to wrap up on. Mm-hmm. Um, like highlights to me in this conversation are the gotta do something mm-hmm. <laughs> i keep hearing you say that at a couple of different phases yeah. that's kind of like i'm gonna call it the, the stick yeah. like if there's a carrot and a stick that's the stick right mm-hmm. like you got to do something yeah and then there is the non-judgmental writing mm-hmm. which is you know the carrot to me it's like it's all just like it's gonna be okay just write it yeah so if you're talking to um yourself right mm-hmm. uh, out there and looking back mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could ask you what's next, but, you know, you think about that, first of all? Like what's what's next? next? Ferrari? I think, yeah, doesn't everyone? Not about me, but <laughs> well, doesn't everyone think about what's next for them? For some time, you, mm. you talk about this, actually, mm-hmm. that if you were thinking about what's next, because mm-hmm. when I touched on planning before, you backed off from planning, so I yeah. said, I'm going to bring that up again. Yeah. But, um as much as we plan, we often mm-hmm. look back at it and go, what the heck were you thinking? Yeah. Like, how immature, yeah. right? So I'm not going to ask you that because it, I, I think I, I know what you're going to say. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's very standard, I feel like, as we grow. We're like, oh, that was cute. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, that's also a sign of progress. Yeah. Um, but what I'm wondering is now, really, a lot of people, I mm-hmm. feel, don't make that same choice. And you mm-hmm. talked about how it's a choice. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a total choice. Mm-hmm. You had to choose. Conscious mm-hmm. or unconscious. But yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing that helps the choice is, to me, I always find it's the carrot and the stick. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you what do you say to somebody who says, ah, you know, because your situation, anyone could look at from mm-hmm. another perspective and go, hopeless. I don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. You said it yourself. Yeah. You or you have so many tools. You had, I see it as he had lots of tools. Well, that's what you see. Didn't capitalize on. That's what them, you right? see. So, like, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I totally. Yeah. I to- everyone would know now. You yeah. you acknowledge it that you have everything it takes. Oh, yeah. I already believe that about everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I'm talking about the people that are there at that moment, including yourself when you were there mm-hmm. and I was there. And it's the authenticity. Is like how did it's how I keep asking questions and not speaking, but it's. Again, is that how do you align with your authenticity in your life now? Because when you align with your authenticity, you're going to invite things that resonate more with you as an individual. Mm-hmm. And being authentic isn't always uh, something that we can capitalize on, for lack of a better word. But mm-hmm. it brings value to our life in different ways, whether it be work or in relationships. So, like coming from your cloak to the authenticity and seeing the authenticity as really the pillar of what you were lacking because we we get sad and upset and depressed and anxious when we're not authentic to ourselves so mm-hmm. what is what are the tidbits or what are the lessons you learned in bringing that authentic self from the dark room to the outside the door hmm. i think the core to me, the most important aspect of it is that you're never going to, or I don't want to say you're never going to, I realized that I was never going to achieve my authentic self through consuming culture and consuming media and through watching what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, like how we pointed out earlier, journaling is just something that happened because I guess at that time it needed to happen for me in the way that it happened. And I feel like that's where the birth of recognizing my authenticity began. There, It's not like somebody said, hey, you should try journaling. Yeah. It was, I need to get this out of me right now. And I can't draw mm-hmm. and I can't make music, but I know how to spell. So let me just start writing. And even if it's going to be... Illegible. So the shift is instead of talking and listening to others, you're talking and listening to yourself. Yeah. So how was that received when you presented your authentic self outside of the uh, room? Uh, 
Mm. They want you talking to yourself. They want you listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You gotta listen to them. Yeah, right. Um, I feel like I haven't done that too too much. To be completely to be completely honest, I feel like there's still a lot of um, things kept behind the veil. I I definitely feel I'm honest and authentic, but it feels like. The rawness of my authenticity is still veiled. This is kind of off of side note, but um, I just love to share one of the last things I was journaling about. I feel yeah. like that'd be pretty cool. Um, basically, what I wrote down was that music, and you could replace music with art, writing, any form of creative expression, but I, I use the word music. Music is medicine for the creator and a drug. For everyone else mm. and what I realized and the reason why that thought came to me is that to truly heal through the creative expression it has to be your own because it's kind of like you know when you're putting a key into the lock somebody else's art somebody else's creation it might hit some of those pistons and it might lift a few of them but if you want to actually open that lock you have to create the key yourself and so I realized that through listening to the music of others and observing their art and reading their books, it would give me a high, it would give me a feeling as if something's really changing, but then I realized nothing's really changing. And it was only through my own creative expression that I started to feel that progress was being made. That's profound, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love how you articulated that. It <laughs> makes so much sense. And as he's describing lifting pistons, yeah. I'm thinking you're right. You can listen to everybody else's music, but you gotta kind of make your own yeah if you want to get if you want to open that door yeah <laughs> i love it i love it thank you of course thank you um I'll, i'm gonna do this again with you just with a coffee though not on a microphone sure <laughs> i'm just saying this is sure. great i'm having fun doing it.